Welcome to Season 2 of Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez, and in this show, we'll be talking to some real-life experts on how to get through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and feelings of hopelessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. So today we are incredibly lucky to have returning with us, uh, Kimmy and uh, Kimmy from, where would you exactly say you live? Would you say Oakland? Do you say like East Oakland, West Oakland? Do you get specific? I'm in East Oakland. Okay, I have no idea. So, okay, East Oakland. Um, And before we get started with the three questions for this interview in this season, I'm wondering if you can tell us a few quick top-level things that you remember from the last time we spoke. What do you remember from, um, you know, a little under a month ago? Oh, well, I remember we talked about the going in the car with the kids and kind of like the shift in life for the kids. Mm-hmm. And then I remember we talked a little bit about, which, by the way, was the sweetest story that I just hold so <laughs> close to my heart during this whole time. Right? Like, I want to go on a road trip. Let's go on a virtual one in the car so I can listen to my book. So good, so good. <laughs> and then I think we talked about just like we're in a moment of redefining our society. Right? Did we talk about that? I think it's what everybody's talking about right now. So yes, for giving me a very uh, possible thing that we talked about. Yes. 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 Um, I, I feel like we talked about so many different little things um, yeah. that I can't remember all of them either. But I think this is what's slowly happening as well as we are longer in the shelter in place and so many unknowns still happening where um, I'm starting to forget some things as well. Um and I think, as somebody mentioned on an earlier interview, just listen to Serial Podcast uh, Season 1 to understand why we might not be remembering things right now. Um, is it significant? Anyways, so this particular season uh, is about consumption. And the opposite of consumption, uh, in terms of consuming what you eat, what you use, what you buy, um, the opposite of consumption being development, what gets built up, what grows, what improves gradually over time. So same sort of scenario of describing what things were like before this um, pandemic shelter in place sort of new norms that we're in now, and what's happening now, the comparison of before and, and after. What have you noticed, if anything, has changed in your consumption, uh, consumption of culture, consumption of food, um, consumption of information, everything that you would put under consumption. What was it like before and what is it like now? Wow, that's a big question. So um, immediately go to think about food and clothing and, and your shopping. When, you think, when I hear consumption, I think about the shopping that you're getting stuff to use. And because we've been at home, most shopping besides food is not relevant anymore. Like you don't necessarily need new clothes, the shoes, the whatever, like supplies and stuff. We have a lot of stuff in our homes. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like the first couple of weeks of being in shelter in place, we were actually cleaning out our home and it was like, oh, we have so much paper, so many things, you know, like there's all these things that were just hiding in our house because we had been hoarding basically for years just collecting and gathering and thinking like i might need this one day and now it's like okay i have all these things you said these things were hiding in your house (laughs) 
Were they hiding or were they just unable to be seen because things were just stacked on top exactly. of them? Exactly. Well, that's what I, I meant is that we would always, or I would see things or, and be like, oh, I might use that one day or I'm going to keep this because I might use it one day, but I never had time to use it, right? So then now that I've been sorting through stuff, I'm like, oh, maybe now I do have time to go through this like box of old magazines or this box of old clothes that I was going to turn into a rug or, you know, there's all these things that I had plans for and I just kind of shoved them into the corners of my house. So there's a bit of that where when you're in a consumption culture, you just keep gathering and collecting, right? But then there's no time to actually enjoy it or use it. And now that we've been at home for more than a month, it's like, oh yeah, we have these things we can already use. We don't need to keep buying and keep consuming. So you Um, did the great shop at home which is sort of like what's been happening lately because you're, you're absolutely right. Like we're so in a a consuming culture that during this time people have been cleaning up or shopping at home, shopping in place, if you will, Um, going through the closet and being like, Oh, that's right. I don't need new socks because I bought a whole pack of socks a year and a half ago and forgot where I put them. Um, But you're also like a a maker and crafter. Um, I, I know that you make, um, purses and bags and wallets and things out of leather. Um, you were, you also, I don't know if you still do this. You were making clothing for, for your children. I think you might've even made clothes for yourself. Um, and so you were, you were already someone who consumed raw materials, if you will, to then make something. So I further understand the idea of, I will keep that because I will use it someday. I think without the listeners knowing that that's what you do, it, it kind of, you know, helps a little bit. Yeah, no, context. my house, I have several areas of just boxes of supplies, like fabric and cotton and even like subsets of fabric. So like you said, leather, I've got huge supply of leather. I have felt, I have cotton, I have all kinds of boxes of stuff that's materials to make things with. So. But you said before you didn't have time. So it's like you couldn't even use the materials you were buying and consuming because you didn't have time. Is time something we consume or is time something we develop? Can you buy time? Sure, you can buy time. You make space, right? Like you make, you decide what you're going to use your time for. So either you can decide to sit and read a book, you know, like, and that's pretty long. If you're going to take a big book or a series, like that's a lot of hours reading a book. Or you had brought up like consumption of television or some other entertainment. Like it's a, it's a choice between watching and sitting and like, consuming like entertainment or then using that time to make something or using that time to spend time with your children or your partner or listening to music. Like you choose what you're spending your time on. So that is a, it's a both, like you develop the space, the time, like you create the space to do something. So that would be the development part that you're talking about. And then how you also, it. it seems also like if you can consume more materials it also means that you have more time in your, in your life. The less you consume in materials, the more time you have. Like I'm, I'm trying yeah. to also think about like time and Spacious. wages. Yeah. And that ability to yeah. make spaciousness by like basically having your needs met. So, so let's go back to, cause you brought up music and TV. What were you consuming in terms of television and music before? And what are you doing now? 
it's pretty much the same because I have children. Our general rule was no TV during the week because they had homework or like we don't see them before. Actually, we did talk about this, that our general schedule was the kids and my partner and I were working till six and the kids were in school or after school programs till six. So then when we came home in the evening, it was eat dinner and then hang out, read, play a game or something, but no TV um, bed and then started all over again, right? Five days a week without having to travel, without going to school, we do have more time together. And so now there are more times when like, so before the kids would watch TV on the weekend and that's Mm -hmm. actually how the kids knew, Oh, it's Saturday. I get to watch TV. Um, And now breaking that saying, Oh, Wednesday, you can watch an hour of TV here or there. So we, now there's been a couple of moments of that. We're just like, okay, you can watch something. It's no big deal. Um, my kids are also really into audiobooks, so not music. Well, one of the kids, the teenager's completely into music, and she has earphones in her ears all day long. But the <laughs> younger one, I, I see this as like a thing <laughs> that happens, yes, right? Ear, like earphones. you basically want independence. You want to be yeah. left alone, and it starts yeah. in the tween years. And so, if yeah. you can be, if you could be forced in the places that you're forced to be in, the dinner table at home yeah. with extended and, family, but be someplace else at the same time uh-huh. through your headphones, you're good. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that I think has increased. So her time using a device, audio device, and then the younger one as well. Like yesterday, she listened to a whole audio book in one day. Um, you can binge a book, an audio book? Yeah. It was like, like it's a, she had read the book before, so she knew the general story, but the audio books, some of them are maybe eight hours. Some of them are like, 27 like the harry potter series is 27 hours and my kids also have listened to that so you know it takes a few days um do you see a difference in their in their development how they grow what is improving over time from them listening to books on tape than um like consuming anything through television like is sound different than sight are words different I than like think seeing the so. whole thing? Yeah, I think so because when you are reading or doing audio, um, there's a little bit more of a – because you have to visualize it in your head. So when you're listening to a book and you have to visualize it in your head, there's I think there's a little bit more happening there, like the connection between the words that you're hearing and then you visualizing it versus when you watch it on TV, they have visualized it for you. So I think you're a little bit more – passive about it because you're watching it happen. Um, so I would think that the audiobook, your your brain, you're engaging more parts of your brain because you're listening to it and then you have to like create what it looks like. But when you're watching TV, you're like, oh, okay, they've already determined how it's going to look for me. Um, so let's take this now to news. Mm-hmm. Let's take this away from like a, a fictional or even a nonfiction, you know, book or story. And let's take it to the news. Do you consume the news? Yes. And how? Print media, uh, radio, or um, something that's, that's video? I still really, I still get a paper newspaper. Which every day? Husband, not every day, four days a week. So uh-huh. my husband's just like, what is that? But I <laughs> predominantly do paper. I like the tactile. Um, and then radio, I listen to the radio in the kitchen, like as I clean and do whatever. So I, I listen to news radio. Now, when you do that, instead of like passively just seeing what the news is telling you, this is the frame, this is how we're talking about the story. When you read it or you listen to it, 
is that helping you to develop the ability to see the best in your mind? Or are you constantly making up then things that attach to like some of these scary things that, that we're, that we're hearing and learning about? I'm trying to figure out like, what is the most useful way right now for us to continue to consume information? Because I worry that maybe we're doing these really great things with like sci-fi and, and, and fiction, you know, to imagine these possibilities. But then when we also consume things in the same way, that's nonfiction, that's reality, that's the news, then we also have this ability to fantastically imagine like the worst. Um, what have you noticed? That's a, that's a hard one because I think different people respond to different things. Some people do need more of the visual or, or need more of a, like some people like to watch news through comedians, right? Like the, just even the message and the way that it's portrayed. So I think it's hard to say, like, I don't know if everybody processes things the same way. Well, see, that's, that's what's super interesting that you just brought up this like comedy of news, right? Like that's yeah. kind of a recent development really with the daily show with Jon Stewart, which is like almost 20 years ago now that mm-hmm. we had, and, and there was pushback, you know, there were people saying to comedians, do you realize that more people consume news and information from you, the comedy central television show than from, you know, actual um, mm-hmm. news outlets, right? And then the comedian saying, I'm using the news to come up with my material, but I'm still a comedian. I am not, um, you know, yeah, a newscaster. Responsible I'm not for, a, yes. yes. I am not a journalist. I'm, yes. I'm trying to, yeah. you know, use reality as, you know, an everyday news um, that's developed day to day as my material. And yet at the same time, then later you see Jon Stewart being an advocate for firefighters um, who don't have, you know, continued health care that they need um, after fighting and going in on the front lines during September 11th, right? So there's a lot of blurriness right now. But I think it's interesting. Do you sometimes consume news through comedy? Can you do that? Of course. And I, and I think this I is, can. well, this is the cultural strategy piece that you can't just, I, I don't believe you can just throw numbers and facts at people and they're going to absorb it. It's the same theory around cultural strategy. You've got to talk to people in ways that are going to trigger emotion and feeling and other things like the story that you're telling, like the visual that you're telling is really important because if you just throw out numbers, how many people died, how many people are being infected, percentages of blah, 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 like people can't remember that. But what they remember is the story of the nurse who, you know, had to decide between her or her husband, who's going to die and who's going to watch their children. You know, like it's those emotional relationships that actually are deeper. And this idea that cultural strategies are how we communicate and people remember story. They don't remember all the facts and fiction. Um, And this is where news is thinking, oh, yeah, we're just going to keep putting all these like charts and numbers and whatever. And, yeah, maybe some people will get get stuff from out of that. But most of the people are not going to get that much out of it. And they're going to go to listen to the story. And I think this is how the conservatives have really taken advantage of this of this, because you have pastors and preachers, you know, like emphasizing and all this spiritual energy about blah, blah, blah. Right. And then people attach to that. They're not attaching to the news and like, Oh yeah, the facts are so many people are dying. It's because 
the spiritual leaders, the comedians, the cultural influencers, right? Um, they are the ones who are saying things. And, but, and they're not journalists, right? So I think this is that connection that we are relying on these cultural influencers too much. <laughs> oh, wait, you're on mute. You just killed it for me. Sorry, thank you. Thank you. These, yeah. are, these are one of those common phrases that happen during Zoom times, you know, um, the phrases that you wouldn't normally say outside of a video conference meeting, like you're frozen, you're muted, I can't hear you. Are you still there? Like these are these are common phrases during this time. So thank you for letting me know that I was muted. I, I'd like to know when I can't be heard. But so so here's so here's something that you just blew my mind with. I, I thought the idea of like a cultural influencer or an influencer really came with the dawn of like social media, particularly Instagram. Um, but but you're saying that actually cultural influencers are like religious leaders and comedians, right? Like these folks who are using story and satire or um, connection to sort of previous um, uh, folk stories or, you know, um, What's what's the name of a story that has a lesson? It's fable. Um, a yeah, I was going to say fable, but like there's something else too. But like basically, yeah. right? It's not just any story that yeah. they're attaching yeah, things yeah, yeah. to. It's one that we already have sort of a value attached to it. This means this is good, and this means that's bad. So, what do you think is happening right now to those folks who are reluctant and resistant to sheltering in place and putting on masks and um, keeping six feet of distance? Like what stories do you think they're consuming or information? How is it being packaged to them that they're like, yeah, right. I should be able to do blah, blah, blah. Well, this is the whole thing about the right that they have made it so that government and the news are conspiracies against, you know, against what is American, right? And this idea that we should have a choice um, only for businesses, not for pe women's right to choose in their bodies. But, you know, there should be a choice if I go to the beach and get a haircut and all this bullshit. It's because they are going along with that narrative that you can't trust the government, that if anyone tries to tell you what to do, don't listen. You need to be independent. You need to, you know, pull yourself up from your own bootstraps, all that stuff, like blaming immigrants, blaming the Chinese for this virus, like all of it is connected. And they're, they're, list, they're going along with that, that all of this is a conspiracy. We don't need masks. Um, we should be doing business as usual. I should have the right to buy a gun right now. Like all those things are all connected. What do you think happens or what have you seen in your years organizing communities around big issues? Um, what have you seen is sort of, um, you know, what do you gain from blaming others? Like what, what is the winning angle to never taking responsibility for something and blaming everyone else? Does that get tired at some point? Does, is there a way to burst that bubble in some way? Well, I think that's what we've been trying to shift, right? The dominant narrative has been, let's blame somebody else to deflect from our structural oppression, racism, whatever, right? Oh, slavery, that wasn't our fault. Like they wanted to come here or, um, oh, you know, excluding a certain people or so-and-so like women got raped. Oh, they were wearing a short skirt. It was their fault. Like deflecting the fact that, we have tendencies and that there's a society that 
support certain things, right? Like you deflect from that and you blame the victim, like this whole idea of blaming victims um, causes then people not to see the structural problems that are making those things happen. So I think it's, it's constantly like that. Oh, there's a mass shooting. Oh, it's not the gun's fault at all. Right. It's <laughs> right. It's people, <laughs> yeah. people kill people. Guns people don't kill, kill people. Yeah. And it's just like, well, they're part of it. The guns, but, if but, the guns but, weren't there. But what you're basically saying is that it works. So like, what yeah. does, what does the alternative do? What does the left do? We don't deflect. We just take responsibility all the time. Or do we sometimes deflect? I mean, Biden's kind of deflecting this whole sexual uh, assault moment, right? And I don't see any of us picking it up and saying, you are correct, Biden, this is wrong. You should step down. I mean, we didn't when, when it was Clinton and he was in the White House, you know? Like, so what happens when you don't take responsibility? And also, what is, what is happening, you know, right now? What do you think you know, what is the the strategy of the left? Well, I think this is their struggle, is that there are multiple strategies on the left. And some people believe, right, like, call people out, make them resign. You know, this idea of like, anyone who had a Me Too moment, even though they might be okay. Yeah, call out culture, right? Like, I feel like there's that. And then there's some folks in the middle, like, but we can't call out everybody because everybody has done this before, right? And so I think this is where as the, on the left, we are scattered and we don't have the same type of um, rigor or the same type of like cohesion as the conservative right. The conservative right will hold on to whoever they can hold on to, even if they disagree on one or two things. On our side, it's like, oh, wait, you're not pro-abortion, you know, anti-capitalist, but like this whole list of things. And we're like, oh, I can't be with you. There's, there's a bit of that that happens. Um, egos and just like, you're not down enough. You're not, you're not progressive enough. So then there's divisions, right? On the other side, they don't necessarily have that. They just are all like, yes, we are in it together. It doesn't matter. And they can disagree on pieces of it. So I think that's part of what we struggle with is that we have a lot of different ideas on how to do things and then there's not one path i mean i i I think you just you hit you hit on something for for me the reminder that one of the things that that happens on the left is that we care so much about how the person lives their life who's going to represent us less so and or, or or and we think that if you live a life that shares our values then you will vote on issues in a way that I support. Whereas the right is all about the issues. I don't care who you sleep with, who you pay off after you sleep with them. I don't care what you say or how you say it. Are you going to pass the policy that's important to me? And um, we've gotten really attached to the person Mm -hmm. instead of what they Mm -hmm. can do and holding them accountable to do the thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that has served us, but I don't know that it's, you know, hurting us. I mean, I, I, I just, I can't, I'm getting really afraid of November. As more months go away, we are getting closer and closer to that time when change was supposed to be, you know, um, the goal line there. And, you know, there's a lot of commentary coming out this week in particular about where's that Biden guy again? Like, what, what is he saying? What is he not saying? Um, so let's stop in politics for a moment. 
Let's go back to consumption for a second. Um, and I want to know, is, has there been a change in the amount of materials that you have consumed recently? Like you were consuming material for your own um, sort of, you know, clothing for yourself or for the family, um, projects that you wanted to do that were for fun. Um, if you don't know Kimmy, when Kimmy goes on vacation and has time off, Kimmy makes things. Kimmy fills that time with creation of things. Has your consumption of materials changed um, since the pandemic happened and why? What are you doing with all those materials now? Well, I started this mask thing, which then was, that mm-hmm. used up actually all my fabric. So I started making masks for folks at the border and then it spread into this larger project and now we're making like 10,000 masks. And so I am buying things, but it's all for this mask project, hundreds of yards of fabric, elastic, string, all that stuff. So my energy to create has move to making masks. Yeah, but Kimmy, like I know a lot of people right now who happen to have a sewing machine at home and some fabric and they're making a couple of masks for their family and some immediate friends. Why are you making thousands of masks for strangers? Well, I personally am not making them all. I have now 20 sewers that are helping me do this, but I just felt like it was a moment where we could help workers that are we're not going to get any stimulus money so undocumented folks um make something get paid and then help people who don't know how to make stuff get masks and also then give masks to essential workers like gig workers drivers delivery people so i felt like it was a kind of a convergence of all my things of worker rights crafting um economic stimulus for our people you know it was like it had all these different things and support the post office like i am sending out hundreds of packages a day incredibly (laughs) efficient the post office right so it's like four different things going on it's it's yeah it's the workers getting paid the gig workers getting masked the post office it's a whole big thing there is a new phrase out there about feeding two birds with one seed and what you're saying is why stop it too why can't you find a way to make your one seed feed up to six birds? So yes. <laughs> are yes. you tired? Uh, yes and no. I think the mass thing has, that's been my creative thing. I have not read, like going back to consumption, I have not read any books this break at all because every free mm. moment I have is either making mass, doing the supplies or doing this whole thing. Um, and that's been fine. You know, like, I don't feel like I'm missing out necessarily. And I do feel like I'm doing something that that's helping a variety of causes. So that. So you might have, you might have JOMO. Have you heard of JOMO? So FOMO is an acronym for fear of missing out. But what you're describing is maybe some JOMO, which is joy of missing out. Um, I have not uh, baked any bread. I have not. I have not done any food-related things mm-hmm. at all. Which has been what most people are doing right now, yeah. right? Baking bread. Give me some yeast. You got any flour? And you're like, no, no. But no. here's what here's what I find interesting. So I think we talked about this in the last interview, which is that so you're in you're in um, East Oakland, you're in Northern California, um, community organizer, and um, sort of you know help many different um, you know it's a coalition of coalitions, right? Like in all these different groups, and 
when the big massive fires were happening in Northern California, you were really helping to get these N95 masks um, from Southern California and other areas where they weren't in such high demand and therefore scarce um, and bringing them up to Northern California and passing those out. Now that you are a part of making masks, I mean, you just went from mask to mask in, in each situation. Is there a difference? Like, do you find, like, I'm, I'm wondering if you're thinking about the fire time and going, why didn't we just make masks then? You know, like, are you finding a connection between those two events and the two different kinds of masks that are being made? Like, what, what are the two different kinds of masks say about what's happening right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's related to just what's happening to our climate right? So air and now these diseases, I mean, it's going to just keep happening more and more because as people infringe upon nature, we are going to be exposed to more animal, you know, things that live in the wild. And it's our fault because we're infringing upon that, right? And so the idea of needing masks and protecting and whatnot for whatever it is, um, it just seems like that is our, that's our evolution. And if you look at other countries, they've been wearing masks for a long time. It's just the U S hasn't really. What other countries, it. what other countries? If you, have if you been look at masks? Asia, people are, have been like in Vietnam and China, people have been wearing masks a lot because of smog and the pollution. So they've like wearing masks is something that they are, have already been doing. So now it's becoming part of our culture, but it's now it's fires. Now it's COVID-19. There's going to be fires again, probably. Right. So it's like masks are going to just become part of our clothing because it's just what we're doing to the earth is just happening. But don't you think that that different countries in Asia were wearing masks before us because of the nature of how transportation is in in these different spaces, right? Like I've been to Vietnam and um, I saw a lot of masks um, and I think I went in, oh gosh, I think I went in like 10. 2010, yeah. right? So in 2010, 10 years ago, I was in Vietnam, saw a lot of masks being worn because the majority of um, the folks in Northern and Southern Vietnam are on scooters, or on bicycles. So there is nothing around them to protect them. There's no windows you can roll up. There's no air conditioning you can filter differently, right? You have to protect yourself because you are your mode of transportation. Here in the US, yes, we have folks on subways. We do have folks on um, bicycles. We have cyclists. We have commuters is, is what they're calling themselves. We have folks on, on motorcycles, not so many scooters. Do you think how we move? is a part of what we are wearing or not wearing. Because I think in the U.S., there have been these strong, you know, with uh, activism, with people demanding it, these different changes in policy for cars that are created and emissions, smog checks, things like that. So we, we count on uh, the source to change how it does things, not us having to change how we sort of interact with it. Um, what do you think is going to happen right now in that, like, we're not in our cars, you know, like we're not doing these kinds of things. Do you think that mask wearing will go up because we are less in our cars and wanting to be more outside? Like what, what do you imagine using your, I listen to stories um, and I don't watch them. What can you imagine in your mind or predict is going to be the new version of things? Cause we do have folks resisting. Well, I think 
Because we're not going to find any cure or vaccine for this for at least a year that wearing masks will become more of a normal. And so even while some people are resisting, it's more important than ever then for those that believe in protecting one another that people do wear masks. And then because then that becomes a norm and then it's the people without a mask that are like, why aren't you wearing a mask? You know? So I do feel like that's it. It will just become part of our daily lives. So, and like I was saying, besides, so the climate stuff that's happening, the fires and all that, but what you're talking about, the pollution from cars and whatnot, like that's still there. It's going to keep increasing. And so until we change those things, like our method of production and all those different factory like regulations, which by the way, Trump has stripped. Right. So it's like, right. all right. right. So all those things, but um, yeah, it just seems like mass and somehow protecting what we breathe in will be something we have to do. Uh, so, 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 so wait a minute here. Have you, um, do you have masks? You're making all these masks. Let me just ask you a question. Do you own any of these cloth masks that yes. you have been making? Does everyone in your family have one? Yes. Do you have N95 masks as well? Yes. Well, we had, my, my partner had bought masks with filters for the children during the wildfires. So we have the kind with the little thing that you change the filter and there's mm -hmm. a little valve. Mm -hmm. So we had a set of those. Since I've been making masks, we now have another set so that people can switch out. And, we, and I've tried four or five different styles of masks to see like which one works best and whatever. Mm -hmm. So yes, I have a bunch of masks around the house um, and the family is part of testing what's comfortable, what works, what doesn't. I have an idea for you. I need you to make this mask because I think it is going to be the solid hit. Okay. So you know that recently I had to go to chemo for a month every Friday. And when I was at chemo, I had to wear a mask. There was a frightening time throughout chemo where I would have to remove the mask temporarily and then put it back on. This is called eating and drinking. And so it is probably the most annoying part of wearing the mask that I have to take the whole thing down in some sort of way in order to still consume food and liquids that I also, by the way, we also still need all of these things, right? So can you make a garage door in the masks? Can you make like a little flap Velcro something where you lift it up and that's how then you can drink or eat and then the flap comes down? You know, because the whole thing, it's like, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of wearing like a unitard and you have to go to the restroom and you have to take the whole thing off to go. But if there was just a little, a little area for you to be able to just open the, a little part, that would be so nice. Um, I don't, I've never worn a unitard. So what I was actually imagining was my one piece bathing suit, but I thought the idea of a unitard was like a little bit more, you know, extreme, maybe more visual. Did you like that? Yeah. No, okay. for sure, because the flap, the flap part is what you need to visualize. So it's kind yes. of like long johns, I think is the... There it is. It's yeah, the long johns. Thank you. We need the long john the version of the mask so that you could keep it on and still do what you got to do when you need to do it. Yeah, I can see that. Like you can have a smaller little mouth flap. I think the, the fear is just that you still need to block if someone were to sneeze, you don't want the flap open, then you've just ruined. So maybe it's like on the side, there's a little like 
platform for a, a for a straw to go through at least <laughs> something something like i'm just i'm just letting you know that some yeah. of the problems with the mask use long term yeah. is is this yeah. whole sort of thing and yeah. you would think that if other countries were using the mask all the time they would have already figured this out but i think that i tend to think about food and drinking way more than I think about anything else in my life. So I need to figure out how am I going to do that? Um, so thank you for taking that tip. Uh, I want to know what else were you developing before the pandemic and what are you developing now? Like, were you always developing um, a way to get masks to the people? It seems like that has stayed before the pandemic to now. I think for me, I'm in a position where I have space to um, for to react to crisis. So the mass thing is the common thing that has happened, but it's not that I was like, oh, I should be an air advocate of any sort, right? It was that for us during the wildfires, it was a crisis and people needed mass. And I have spaciousness in my work that I'm like, I can help with that. And I helped to get 60,000 masks to the Bay Area, right? So it's like, it was more a privilege of my position that in my coalition work, part of my job is to help respond when other folks can't and to help kind of connect our groups to what's going on. So because I have a part of my job that's around crisis and, you know, responding to the moment, I think that's where I've been in a position. So the mass thing, I feel like it was just a coincidence that it was, we needed those masks for the air thing. And then now we had some left over. We were able to distribute them to nurse, um, to hospitals actually for this round. And then, the convergence of my love of craft and sewing. And I was like, oh, we could sew these masks. Like now we're shifting and it's not just these N95 that are produced, but what, what's local production look like? So I think that was the pivot that happened in this round. But ultimately my role has space for me to be able to respond to crisis. Do you think that providing aid or providing service um, in a crisis is organizing. Are you making yes. political change by providing aid? You have to do it intentionally. So aid by itself is not necessarily going to change things. But if you are supporting someone and then at the same time talking to them about and, you know, fill this out to get your unemployment or to get the support and then come, you know, like connect them back to and remember why this is happening like the reason why you can't get any money from the federal government is because Trump is saying all these bad things about immigrants right now. Just, you know, and, and just connecting those dots to why it's happening. Service in itself does not, is not going to do that. And people are very, you know, busy just providing that initial service. The political education that is layered on top is part of what our community organizations do, right? There's like a little bit more engagement. So it's like, yes, here's your food bag and a flyer about the census, right? And why this is important. Or I'm going to give you a ride. And while I give you a ride, I'm going to talk to you about my organization, right? Like, so it's the service plus that is needed in the moment. 
And so I guess it's not shocking to me as I'm listening to you talk about Surface Plus and you're talking from your home in East Oakland. It's not shocking to me then that some of the connective tissue is also that the Black Panthers came out of Oakland and that part of the organizing of the Panthers was to provide food, was to provide breakfast, free breakfast for young people. And that turns into policy later in schools. That's how you have free breakfast. So all these schools right now that are able to get financial funding and are able to still have like drive up services where families can drive up or walk up and get food, that actually comes from the Black Panthers organizing and not only providing that service, but then organizing around the policy to change on a national level. So you're saying that it is possible to have the two happen so that it is a systemic solution. Like we shouldn't be saying right now that um, individuals sewing and making their own masks is the solution. It is part of a solution, but it should be a national policy conversation that we are taken care of that we are in a place and in a country and living in a society where taking care of each other isn't something that you have to ask for. It is something that is known and expected and is a given. I'm wondering for the last question, if somebody is listening right now, um, currently April, 2020, or if someone is listening 15, 20 years in the future and they're listening to this as a historical interview, they want to see if they got it right. What is the advice that you would give to people listening that this is what you should be developing? This is what you should be consuming, or this is what you should stay away from. Don't develop this. Don't consume that. What is the long-term um, advice that you have for someone knowing that we had masks before we have masks now and sort of the, the thinking of what's going to happen in the future. What do you, what do you advise people to do? I think it's more around production and local production. And so Garmin is an example of this where garment industry was pushed out of this country, got sent to other countries to exploit their labor and then comes back to us. In this moment of COVID, it was like, oh, we're, there's no more planes, there's no cargo ships, whatever. We need to produce stuff locally. And the idea that we don't have manufacturing anymore locally, like why aren't we building the respirators here? Why aren't we able to build the like mass and the everything else locally? It's because we've destroyed over the last 50 years, our local production and our local manufacturing. And you have all these empty warehouses right now that are just sitting there. So I think this is a call to local production is important local garment workers, local engineers, local electricians, like all those skills that we were just like, you don't need that stuff. That's blue collar work. Like, let's just ship that labor somewhere else. You do need it. Like if we need to survive, we need to be able to grow food. We need to be able to produce the things that we need to produce here. We need to be able to like support one another here um, and allow those countries to also support themselves. Like, why would you have garment workers in India or Bangladesh making thousands of masks to ship to the U.S.? They need those masks over there, you know, like, like allow people to just have their own production and stop this global, like, race to the bottom. So I think the idea that, you know, and we have people dying here because we don't have the supplies. Like, that's the most ridiculous thing. How is it that 50,000 people have died and a lot of them could have survived had they had the respirator, had they had, you know, like had they had enough masks. Had they had or, tests. 
yeah, if there was enough tech, like all these things that we should be able to produce, we're relying on China. And not to say it's a bad thing on China, but that's, it's the economic system we created. Like we stopped producing things here. So now we rely on other countries and it's like, but why, why don't we produce things locally? And that then also addresses the like pollution from the ships and the, you know, gas they're using to like take something back and forth. Like it's, you should like this idea of local production, I feel like is important. Which then also means that we need to have being able to know how to produce something needs to come back into our schools, right? Like we had this because there was um, tracking. If you were black or brown, let's put you in manual labor and you don't get to go into higher ed. And then the great leveling with that is nobody should be tracked into manual labor. And now manual labor is seen as the big no-no. Nobody wants to do that. Work with your hands. <gasps> you know, like you're not successful. You're not, you haven't really arrived. You haven't really evolved. You're not there yet. That's not the goal to work with your hands, you know? And so now it's A through G requirements. It's let's make sure that you're prepared for college. Let's get you into college. Oh, and then when you're out of there, do you know how to sew anything? Do you know how to cook anything? Like we have completely not only shifted our production to be outside of the country, we have created a new norm where it's a good thing when you can't make things for yourself because it means, ah, no calluses on your hands. It means people take care of you. But when those means aren't around anymore, now you are screwed. Well, yeah, because it was forcing us to buy it all. Buy this. Buy this. Consume. Buy this pre made packaged dinner that you just throw in a microwave. Buy this, blah, blah, blah. You know, like we weren't tr trying to teach people to make anything for themselves. And now there's this huge thing like a make, the whole maker movement is part of that. Like you can make things. And now we have 3D printers and, you know, there's all this stuff. We could do it. It's just. Like you said, we've been bullied out of it. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's a bad thing. You don't need to work with your hands. You're above that. Like do computer work. And it's like, but really, what is computer work? <laughs> you, know? you know, our friends in our, our mutual friends, we have some mutual friends in this world who are, you know, um, working on the res. They're from the res, indigenous communities. And there's this constant call to not only know what land you're on, you know, like who were the original inhabitants of that land? But more importantly, you go back to the land. Don't just talk about, um, don't just drop the names of the indigenous group that used to live there. Also share with us, how are people relating to the land there right now? How are you relating to the land where you live? And I think that maybe that is a more um, sort of dark and colonial and imperial um, sort of way of how we got here. The further away from the land you are, the more developed. And we have to say that because that's the only way that we can justify or rationalize why we took over people's lands and said, you're not smart enough to know what to do with it. We're just going to live on it. We're not actually going to interact with it because to get our hands in the dirt would be like you and we're better than you. And what we're learning right now is that maybe the original habit inhabitants of all the lands that we were on, maybe they were the smarter ones. Maybe they were the most, the most important skills. They already had them. Um, and now we're trying just to go back and relearn these things that somehow we forgot by design. And so by design, how do we relearn them? Um, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for all your production. 
uh, all your consumption for the point of production, for the point of developing um, a better community and world for all of us. Um, I know I'm, I'm lucky to have you in my life and, and I think we're all lucky for, for being able to, to hear your insight. You've been listening to Been There, Done That, your pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human. 